when it comes to pricing, knowing that one of our biggest fears is the fear of rejection, being told no. You know, the way to combat that is to realize they're not saying no to you personally. They're not saying you're not enough or you suck. They're saying our expectations weren't met. So if you can disconnect that and realize that that no is about expectations and not about you personally, it changes the game because it's not as personal. Hello and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. I am on a mission to scour the globe to find and interview the most brilliant mindset coaches, sales strategists, and business leaders alive and present them in a way that landscapers, hardscapers, and outdoor living pros can immediately put them into use to grow and thrive. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 27 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, and this week I have Weston Zimmerman from Synced Up on the podcast, and we talk a lot about why contractors have a hard time asking for their value. What is it about money that, that scares us? Why are we so scared to ask our clients for what we're really worth? We talk deep into that subject. We talk about a ton of other things where they're taken synced up, uh, why he does what he does, all of that stuff. So guys, if you struggle with asking people for what you're truly worth and you have a hard time talking about the subject of money, clients, keep listening. Hey, Weston, I'm so excited to have you back on the show here. I always enjoy our conversations. You're out there changing the industry, you know, one contractor at a time, helping them know their numbers and figure out how they can be more profitable, brother. So welcome back. Thank you. It's always good to be here with you, Josh. I, I have many fond memories of our times on the road together and, you know, going to all these shows. So I always enjoy having a conversation with you. And I always watch where you are, dude. You're like everywhere. If there's a show and it's in this industry, you are there and you are, <laughs> you're helping. I love it. What you're doing to the industry and with the industry and helping these, uh, these contractors out is just incredible. So I've always had tons of respect for what you're doing as well. Appreciate it. You know, it's, it's, it's the fuel I get is the results that I see in people and their businesses. I mean, that's when you see lives being changed and people actually hardworking people actually making it, you know, actually thriving. Like, it's like, how can you not, you just get sucked in, you know? Yeah. yeah I know that yeah. I see so many of our brothers and sisters out there wake, working way too hard for way too little money. Right. And at the end of the, the month, they look, they're like, we didn't make any money or we think we did until all the bills come in the following month and pretty soon they're back out again. And they, yeah. Because th there's this intoxication with getting a big fat check. Right. Yep. It's like, oh my God, it's a $20,000 project or, or, you know, I got $10,000 in my hand right now for half down. It's like, I got $10,000 in my hand. The next thing you know, that vaporizes in a moment. And then yeah. like, well, I have another 10,000 when I finish the project and then it rains and then, and then material prices are higher or you need more material. And the next thing you know, that vaporizes too. So that $20,000, it seemed like a massive chunk of cash disappears. Yeah. And that's you right. see that a lot of times with uh, different oh. contractors coming in. Oh, yes. All the time. I mean, literally, it's that problem is why we exist. Literally, yeah. like that's why we're in business. That's why we have a product. Yeah. Um, I'd say the majority. Uh, well, I, I think I think it's like the majority of this industry, it's full of owner operators. And at yeah. some point, we all kind of go through that phase. You know, there are some very uh, um, 
special contractors that kind of like are really savvy with numbers and kind of really skip right through that pretty quickly. Yeah. But, but most of us just love, we, we started landscaping or if we started hardscaping or doing outdoor living spaces because we were craftsmen and artists and we love to make something beautiful, not because we had an accounting degree or, <laughs> <laughs> or because we're like spreadsheets or something. Not at all. You know? Things, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you're speaking my language starting out, you know, in the beginning it's like, all right. So I was working at a restaurant and I was like, well, if I'm working for them making 15, 20 bucks an hour, whatever it was back then, I'm like, if I could work on my own, I would get all the money. Right. So I'm like, this is great. So my brother, my father and I started a company and we started doing that. And yeah, we did. We started making all the money. And then that stupid tax guy shows up. Why does he show up for money? Right. And then, and then you've got these expenses and you've got these vehicles and this overhead. And, and back then we didn't recover any of that stuff. We're like, well, just borrowed my dad's truck and I went and I rented some equipment and the next thing you know, we bought the pavers that we needed or bought the plants we needed. And the next thing you know, we, we sold that uh, project and we thought we were going to make money. And by the end of it all, we did, if we didn't pay ourselves. <laughs> right. Exactly. Not <laughs> only do you get all the money, but you get all the bills. That's the problem. I wish I could just address them to you. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I mean, try it that. Works yeah, it goes. It only works one time. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now the point is to you know, in the beginning, we don't know. Like when you get started, I know when I got started, I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I was like, yeah, going, and you're like, well, how much do I charge for this? And you know, for many years, we were in the dark, in the gray area with that. And it wasn't until we saw Charles Vander Coy speak. And yep. it's more system that it was like, oh my goodness, like there's, there are other ways of doing this. Let's, let's think about over, you know, recovering our overhead in multiple ways and different, you know, different percentages and all of that. And it, it really opened up and he just won a hell of a speaker back when he used to speak. He was incredible. We had Jerry Gata come out to the, uh, to the business and he was a consultant for them and he'd come out and we went through all the numbers and it was like, okay, we aren't doing as bad as I thought we were doing, but we didn't have awesome software like yours. We actually had to do it on a little spreadsheet. It was like this yeah, con macro. Exactly. Contrast what you just described was your story with the, the information that's accessible today. Yeah. You can literally do that stuff that was like only through this industry expert. He had to come out to your place, probably to fly him in, oh, you know, big bucks. Yeah, exactly. That was yeah. what it was. What? 25. I don't know how, how many years ago, 20 years ago or whatever at that least was. 20. Yeah. yeah. 20. So that's what it took to get access to this teaching information practice whatever today you can literally do it in a, in 30 minutes for free online it's crazy it's crazy you know? That's, you know that's why i'm such a supporter of what you're doing weston because you know i know how much his concept that moore's that overhead recovery that multiple overhead recovery system did for us it actually prepared us to go through 0809 through the crash yeah right and we made it through by a couple hundred bucks in the black. I mean, it was a scrape through, right? But if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't know how to bid projects and we would have been in the red for sure. I don't know if we'd still be in this business if it wasn't for that. So yeah. I see what you're doing and I see that back then I spent, that was 20 years ago and I spent at least five grand to fly him out and to sit with us for two days and to think, you know what? What Weston's doing, they can do for free. And they can do it in 30 minutes. I'm like, this is, that's again, that's why you're here, brother. I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing because I went through way too much pain and worked way too hard for no money for way too long. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're, the problem with what you're doing and what he was doing back then is the fact that sometimes when you see those numbers, I didn't like what I saw. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh crap. Now I got to, I got to, I got to up my price. How am I going to justify that? I could barely justify what I was charging for this. But then you look at it and inside you get this, this kind of, uh, 
contrast back and forth, like this conflict where you're like, but if I don't charge enough, I'm going to be working for free. That's right. If I do charge more, well, I'm just going to have to show more value. Yep. So I've got to become a better salesperson now and be able right. to help and guide that client to understanding the value of what this exactly. is. So, yeah, it's yeah. We literally yeah. we literally talked about that yesterday in my talk at Mott's at the trade show down in Atlantic City. Was like um, the faster you can divorce your feelings from the numbers, the better off you'll be. Yeah. And, and and the whole aspect of um the race to the, if you want to be cheapest, it's a race to the bottom. And the, and the folks that are at the bottom don't know their numbers and they are working for free. So if you want to be the cheapest, well, how about we just start with don't even try. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so it really comes down to build your budget, let the numbers be what they are. Don't let your, don't let your feelings interfere. Uh, if your feelings are interfering, manipulate the budget to come to get the outcome you want. Don't just not, don't, don't just ignore the numbers. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, and then it becomes a build your company to differentiate differentiate yourself via client experience, product, craftsmanship, what you build, your own design language, your own artistic ability. Like differentiate yourself on that because people will pay a premium for those things. Yes. And it's no longer a discussion of well, you're more expensive than the next guy. Well, yeah, no, you knew that before you even picked up the phone to call me. So why did you know? Of course, I'm more expensive. You're but, a market of one at that point because you're yeah, the only exactly. one to do that one thing and. You know, what, yeah. I'd love, what I'd love to go a little bit into you here with is why do you think that so many of our uh, brothers and sisters in this industry have a hard time with with asking what their value is? Like like talking about numbers and money. Why do you think that? Yeah. Uh, what do you think the underlying problem is with that? Because it's well, across the industry. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think there's a couple, I think there's a couple different things. And I think of those couple different things, some are stronger in, in, in one individual versus another individual for another individual. It's a different thing. But a couple different things is what we do is expensive. It's big dollars. And we typically don't come from much. Like we just love what we do and we grow into this, right? Yeah. And so big dollar figures are like generate big eyeballs in our world. Mm -hmm. And so when you go out there and talk to Mrs. Jones, asking for a hundred grand to install this beautiful design. It's like, man, like I can't, I can't imagine spending a hundred thousand dollars on something like this. Like, and you can't picture yourself doing it. And what's happening is you're associating your own value. I'm associating my own value as a contractor, my own value of a dollar from the life I lived and how I grew up to how my client potentially values their dollar, which I don't know how they grew up. You know, maybe they make, a million dollars a year, you know? So if you make a million dollars a year, you know, dropping a hundred grand is a little bit like someone that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, dropping 10 grand, whole different story, yep. you know? And so that's one thing that trips us up. And, and the other thing, the, the, the best antidote, the best drug antidote drug I have seen to this mental gymnastics that we, the head trash that goes on inside of our heads when we're asking for a figure that's bigger than I could ever see myself spending on the thing that I do, right? Is when I know my break even on that job. Yeah. When you, I, I have watched this happen hundreds of times, a contractor go from like, I could never charge 60 grand for that project. I, I would never get it. And I'm just going to manipulate my rates or make my lower, my rates lower. And I'm going to charge 50 because that's what I think it's worth. And that's what I think I can sell it for. And it's based, that's based on nothing more than your own self-worth and your own, you know, it's not based on numbers. And so 
take that contractor and then run them through a budget building exercise and then let the numbers tell the story. Like, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. The numbers are telling the story, right? Yeah, yeah. And then let's go rebuild that same bid inside of an estimate with based on your budget. And you're going to see that your break even is $54,897. Yeah. yeah, there's no way you're charging less than you're not you're not you're not budging a nickel off of that $60,000 price. Yeah. There's no way you're you're taking fifty because if you're taking fifty, that's spending. You're paying four grand or whatever the numbers I was saying. I know I was throwing numbers out there. What you're paying to do the job, and if I'm going to pay to do the job, I'm going to go on vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to work for free. That'll make the wife happy too. And you know, and it's like you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, like I, I don't know if everybody has lived through a season of life like this, but I know I have, and I'm sure you have. Where there's you, you're you're running, you know, you're running low on cash, mm. and and you. You know it, but you you haven't looked at your bank account balance in a little while. And you swipe that card and you hold your breath and you hope it goes through. And whew, it went through. Good. Okay. But but, you, but but there's something funky going on because I'm afraid to open the stinking app and look at what the number is before I swipe the card. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's the same phenomenon that, that makes us like ah, I'm not gonna build a. I don't want to know what a budget tells me. If I build a budget, all I'm gonna do is raise my prices. It's wow. more difficult, right? And then yeah. you know, I have a hard time selling now. And dude, I, I can remember back in the day, in the very beginning, and even like in the early years, when I, mean, I would sit there perplexed by the fact that when I went out and asked for $15,000 for a project, that somebody had $15,000 sitting in an account somewhere doing nothing. Because I certainly right. the hell didn't. I had maybe 15 bucks, right? It was like, yeah. who has $15,000 after they've paid their mortgage, after they bought all their stuff and paid for their car? They had $15,000 sitting there. Yeah. And I was like, who has that? Obviously, I know now. But before, I didn't get that, right? I was going paycheck to paycheck. I was barely yep. figuring it out. And I was like, so to your point earlier, if we take our money mindset into larger projects, 15, 150, it doesn't matter. You just put zeros after it. We've got to be very, very careful that we don't take our money mindset into our clients and yep. trying to cheapen them up because they're like, dude, 15 grand, is, I, I make that in three hours. Like, what do you, what's your problem? Like, why is this a yeah. big deal? You might work all year for that, but for them, they make it in an hour or two or five. Whatever, yeah. Right. Yeah. So their difference, their story around money is very different. They're obviously buying outdoor living as a nice to have. It is not a necessity. We all know Correct. that, right? It's something that they do after they pay for the necessities. So we, we have to go into it knowing that they're buying this thing, kind of like a vacation, right? They must have the money to go to Italy where they wouldn't be doing it. They're going to be doing an outdoor living space after they paid all their other bills. So they have savings is my point, or they have access to cash and capital. What we've got to be careful of, especially as humans and especially as men, is one of our biggest fears, Weston, is the fear of rejection. Right. We hate it. Hate it with a passion. So if you're listener, you're listening out there, listeners, and you think, you know what, I really hate having a conversation around money, just stop for a moment and think about is it the money or the fact that sometimes when you talk about money to people, you get a no and you're translating that no into no, I don't want you versus the project, that fear yeah. of being rejected. It's a deep seated human emotion. And if I know that was my story, I was afraid of being rejected. And I yeah. know lots of people in that same boat. So they'd rather go with a cheaper price because it has less impact on that fear of rejection. Because the lower the, the barrier of entry, the higher chance they're going to get a yes. And then they don't have to face the fact that they're thinking they're being told by the client that they aren't good enough. When yeah. The reality is the expectations were never set good enough. It's not about you being worth it or not worth it. It's the fact the client's expectation was X. If you can deliver X, you're fine. 
if their expectation is X and you come below that, they're probably going to be happier, right? If you said 10,000 and it's 8,000, but if their expectation is 10,000 and you come in with a proposal of $15,000, that gap is where the problem is. It's not you, it's your explanation, their expectation of where that's going to go. Yeah. And when that gap exists, the biggest thing that you cannot do is negotiate on that price. Yes. The only thing you can negotiate on is the scope of work. Okay. You want to get from 15 down to 10? Well, I can cut the lighting and I can get you to 10 yeah. or I can make the patio smaller and I can get you to that number. Like if you negotiate on that price, I mean, it, it's, it's, there's, there's a couple things going on. One, you're, you're only negotiating with your profit. That's the only thing your, your costs are still remaining the same. So what variable moves your profit yep. Yep. and yep. two, is this is more of a subconscious subliminal almost like a psychological thing but like if you say hey mrs jones it's gonna be 15 grand and she's like well i got 12 can you do 12 uh yeah i need the work yeah sure what you just told the client subliminally like and subconsciously is like wait was, was he just trying to take me over for three thousand dollars extra right. that's right you know think about it if, if you were spun around and you went to a car dealership and you saw a car for 45 grand sitting there and you wanted it and you said, uh, all right, I'll take that car, but I'm only going to take it for 40. And the guy's like, ah, well, all right, we'll take it for 40. Like, if you didn't ask, you would have got taken for five grand. Like, why would you have 45 on the window if you'll take 40 for it? Yeah. And, and you know, and number two, another point on this to build on this is it's not the client's fault. We live in a consumerist society where you walk into TJ Maxx, everything's 50% off. Like, it's, it's the way our society is. So, but what's important, what the client doesn't know is construction doesn't work that way. Like it, right. it, there's no, the margins aren't there in construction to do so. So the, you can't do this like discount mentality in construction. The only thing you can do is adjust the scope of work. That's the only variable. Yeah. I always say there's three levels, levers to dropping, dropping the price. Yeah. One is, right. You've, you've got the scope of work. What do you want to take out? Second is materials. Well, we'll go from pavers to stamp concrete. And the third is, well, Mrs. Jones, you want to save some money? You rip out all the bushes, tear the deck off. You're not building anything, but you can get it ready for us. <laughs> right? You're not, not going to build anything. You're not planting landscape. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're just going to yeah. get it prepared for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great three ways, but it's never price. Price is the price. Don't bring it out of the, the box and in yeah. your in invoice or your estimate unless it's true. And that's where your software, the synced up, is so, so critical in that because you can see exactly where you need to be. And yeah. It's at, if it is $60,000 that you need to be, don't go in there and tell her 55 because you can see the only thing you're losing is your margin. You're not all everything else is this is the same. Your expenses, your labor, all that's the same. The only thing that changes and you're not going to do it faster. It's not going to be perfect weather. Everything's not going to go quicker. It never does. I've no. tried that game for years. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd sell the project. My brother would build it. Right. This is how it worked for years. And he would get the, the work order and he'd look at it and he goes, what the hell is wrong? You think I can build this in 100 hours? I'm like, yeah, you built the last one 100 hours. He's like, yeah, but. There's a 35 foot narrow uh, access point to the back. That means I've got to wheel everything in there with a small machine. I can't go and dump a big truck back there, which is reason why we had the hundred hours before. Right. And I'm like, Oh shit. All right. We got to have to pull rabbit out of your hat now. because <laughs> It's already sold, but that's, you have to understand, you know, when it comes to people bidding in the office and people in the field, having to build, it's important to have a big conversation around what each projects limitations or benefits you know of that project yeah. that your hours are right because that's really a huge part of this is a labor oh, side it's of it. huge yeah. if you do a budget to find your break even and to find your man hour rates and all of that 
and you track your hours per job, you're 80% of the way there. Like you're, 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 if you do those two things, the rest of it is, is peanuts compared to, because those are the things that are like massive shifts in thinking or, or really dramatically change how your daily workflow looks like, you know, there's a lot of owner owner operators early in the stage. Like, I I don't need to track. Like I know I'm going to be there for three days and I estimated for three days. Like why bother tracking? Well, because six months later, when you want to bid a similar, similar job, you're, you can't remember anymore how long it took you. Plus, how, how many guys did I have on, on site? I don't remember. You know, it's on, just I'm going to remember all that stuff. Because I'm just <laughs> that good. <laughs> yeah, that's I used to think. But man, that's, that's just, so just a full circle. This one, when it comes to pricing, knowing that one of our biggest fears is the fear of rejection, being told yeah. no. You know, the way to combat that is to realize they're not saying no to you personally. Yeah. They're not saying you're not enough or you suck. They're saying our expectations weren't met. So if you can disconnect that and realize that that no is about expectations and not about you personally, it changes the game because it's not as personal. To your point earlier, you know, it's a matter of making sure we understand that numbers are numbers and we have to disassociate our, our uh, emotional connection with them because the story we have around them is not the same story that our clients have around those things. And if we're, we're robbing our clients of the opportunity of doing amazing projects, if we're so stuck in our own story of what numbers truly are yeah. or what money is or how much is expensive. I mean, you see people buy, driving Ferraris around, right? And some of those people are barely affording that. And you might know a billionaire that drives around in a little, you know, Acura because he's like, you know what? That just doesn't affect me. I don't care. You can't really tell. I mean, people's value, the what people value really depends on the person. You can yeah. have billions of dollars and not value expensive things is what I'm trying to get at. Or you can have no money and make it look like you have a lot of money until, you know, the, the, just like musical chairs, right? Once the music stops, we're going to see who doesn't get to sit. It's that simple, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's, it's cool. So, so anyway, so yeah. Wes, I want to kind of switch here and shift that. I know you've been going to a lot of, of trade shows and serving a lot of people in our industry. What are some of the things like some of the struggles that you're hearing out right now with, you know, the economy as it is right now? Like, what are some of the struggles that you hear other uh, of our brothers and sisters out there uh, that are going through? Um, probably the most consistent thing that I've heard that seems to be the most common is that they that we have to work harder to close the job. Um there's a there's a fair amount of companies that are still maintaining their revenue still maintaining uh their pipeline and all of that but they're just having to work harder to close the deal um then there's another like i'd say i don't know i saw a poll recently that i think that jeffrey scott did um asking are you expecting to grow stay the same or shrink in 24 and it was like a third 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 Mm -hmm. like it was like there was still so i and i think the third that's Plant that's expecting to shrink. I mean, there could be a couple different reasons. It could genuinely be because of economic economical factors. Absolutely. Uh, it could also be that they never had a marketing engine to begin with. Yeah. You know, it was, they were, we were just spoiled by the economy that was based on when are you available instead of are, 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 is your design and price what I want it to be, yep. you know, uh, which, which is what COVID was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Basically, if you were available, you could close the deal is what, is what COVID was like for a long time. Um, and then there's others that are still growing like it, it's and, and growing aggressively. So I don't think that personally, my opinion, I haven't really seen this massive um, the skies falling in type thing come to fruition. Yeah. Uh, is it changing? Absolutely. 
is it going back to more of like pre-COVID levels? That's kind of what I think. But although I'm, yeah. I'm no economist, I, 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 I'm not, you know, this, that's just based on me, what I see in my observations of the market and the people I talk to. Um, I definitely have talked to people that absolutely are struggling for absolutely what does seem to be economical factors. Absolutely. So it's, it's not like it's nothing. And I also think that we're riding a lot of inertia and a lot of momentum from the COVID years because, you know, there was people that had booked out their pipeline two, three years, and we're still in that, we're still in that two, three year timeframe. And so 2024, 2025 will be really interesting to see if it really, if the bottom really does fall out or if there was just a huge burst around COVID and then it kind of just cools off back to normal or um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Very interesting. But I'm not necessarily there. There's there, there are definitely some areas that, that are impacted, but by and large people are either maintaining or growing um, is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's going, cool. you know, I have this philosophy that a lot of during the, the big demand, boom of covid right everybody's home they hated their backyards at the same time and they were just hiring just to your point do you have a pulse can you do it let's get out. i'll pay whatever just get out here right we want it yeah. yesterday we have yeah. plenty of money money's cheap let's just keep going and so many companies sprung up in order to fill out demand because the established companies couldn't keep up i mean you couldn't hire fast enough yeah. you couldn't do fast enough so people were either out of work or quitting work and going in their own businesses now we get into a different side of that cycle where we have a a ton of supply when it comes to our, um, you know, amount, how, men are, how many companies are out there that are actually doing this kind of work, but we have a smaller demand. So the question yeah. really is, you know, who's going to survive through it, right? It's going to be the one. Right. Are you going to be the, are you going to be the portion that dies out from it or actually yeah. locks in your position and maintains it and grows? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the, another thing I just thought of, another thing I'm seeing, especially in established companies that, that have been around for a while is, they're selling less of the 50K projects and selling more of the 500K projects, meaning like the wealthy people still have the have the money and they're, they're still doing the work. And it's almost like the, the, the percentage of middle class projects versus wealthy projects is, is, is shifting. I can absolutely see that because, you know, let's be honest, people that have money have it for a reason. It's not because they're stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's because they understand what money is and they understand how to keep it. And they understand that this is the best time to buy because in the last few years, contractors are charging whatever the hell they wanted to. If you wanted me, you're going to pay. And now it's like, hmm, maybe it's time to be a little bit more efficient with cost structures, right? Because what I, you know, the, the, we want to keep our pipeline full. So they're buying in the downtime, you know, like Warren Buffett always says, you know, you run into the building when it's on fire, you don't run out of it, right? So they're looking at it saying, you know, right now is the opportunity to build because they are sitting in cash. They've got access. They don't care about 7% interest rates because they don't need banks. They are the banks, right? Yeah, so, and right. It's and there's many times, there's many times in the middle class kind of whatever that that when interest is two, three percent, like, sure, let's go do a home equity line of credit exactly. or whatever and let's do the project. But when it's nine, twelve, like you're not gonna not do it, all. you know. It's just gonna put the brakes on that. And anybody yeah. with savings are gonna come out and actually do stuff. So maybe you have to get a project going and do it in phases over time in order to bring the whole idea together. Yeah. Other times, uh, you know, things are just tighter. You got to be smarter, right? Things that yeah. worked last year doesn't, don't, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work this year. Again, you got to keep your thumb on the pulse of the client and where are they going? Where are they zigging? Where are they zagging? Right. Uh, like Gretzky said, you skate toward where the puck is going, yeah. where it is. Right. Yeah. So you've got to be constantly thinking further out, like, where are they going with this? So that's the thing about business that I love. It's a game. 
right? It's it is. Absolute, it's the only game I'm good at. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't play sports. I don't do any of that stuff, but it's the only game that I actually enjoy. And the cool part is with business is it's, it's like self-leveling, right? You don't have to have uh, a degree to get into business or be good at it. And there's no guarantee if you do have a degree that you're going to be any good at it. And there's plenty that have started out in the trenches that have absolutely exploded and, and just gone to the ceiling with it, right? So it is such a, an easy, I, didn't, I can't say easy, that's not the right thing, a, an equal opportunity, you know, opportunity for people, but they have to put in the sweat and you see who's got the grit and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what I love about the free market is, you know, the person that, the person that solves a problem or provides a service in the best way, uh, they're the ones that win or, you know, the market doesn't care who's educated, you know, who's educated, although that can, is definitely a tool and, and helps, yeah. but you know, knowledge in and of itself is not useful. It's only useful once it becomes applied. It's only potential. That's right. It's only a potential, you know, momentum, but you have to actually have to get the, the, the push, the speed to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what's next for synced up? What are you guys going? What are you doing over there? Well, I did a whole bunch of work. I kind of rhetorically speaking, went off to the mountains this uh, summer, just just for myself and for my, for the benefit of my team uh, to to kind of evaluate like what are we doing? What is the what is the end game? What are we trying to do? And uh, out of that came some uh, um, some new verbiage around our vision and mission and values and stuff. And we have them on our website if you have, if anybody wants to read them. But basically, the gist is. Um, our, we're here to, you know, solve entrepreneurial poverty for the blue collar contractor and their team. And, uh, we want to do that by, um, and enabling them to, to be profitable, help them make data driven decisions and understand their company's production capacity better than even their CPA does. Mm -hmm. And so what we're, what we're all about is helping these, you know, hardworking contractors that do beautiful things also do well financially for it. Yeah. And so, you know, for, for their teams and their families as well. Um, because when they don't do well, they're not, the, the, the individual is not the only person that suffers. The family and the team suffer as well. Dinners get missed, kids grow up, you know, all of this stuff. And um, my passion is to help people that have everything right. They've got the skills, they've got the ability, they love what they do. They're proud of what they do. They're proud of what they're building. I just want to come in there and just make sure that the dials are turned right. You know, the numbers are turned right, that they're actually going to reap the reward financially for what it is they're doing. Because when that happens, there can be margin in their life. There can be room for a healthy, balanced life as opposed to a, I'm not doing well. And the standard reaction to I'm not doing well is, well, I'll just work harder which creates a lot of downstream problems. And uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's from it, from a big picture perspective, that's what's, that's what's next for synced up is just to live and work and serve in that purpose of ending entrepreneurial poverty for blue collar contractors and their teams. And that mostly is through our product of uh, help, which helps contractors uh, establish a budget. What do I need to be charging? And when my insurance bill goes up, what what do I need to be charging now? Now that my insurance bill went up, you know, just yeah, like yeah. have like a data in, data out type, plug your data in, plug your numbers in, plug your expenses in, get your pricing back out type uh, model, and then that just helps them build. So it's all in service to building an accurate estimate, and not only building an accurate estimate, but do it in far far less time than manually on spreadsheets or paper and pen or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then also track to your point about your brother. Uh, 
uh, the conversation you were describing about, you know, the, well, you did the last one in a hundred hours, you know, tracking that stuff so that you're, so it doesn't come down to, yeah, you can, no, I can't. Yeah, you can, no, I can't. It's just like, well, how long did it take? You know, what's the numbers, you know, what are the variables and track that stuff? Because when you track it, you then have, you then build data to help you make a better budget next year or to help you make a, a better estimate for the next client. And when you make a better estimate, all the time, it's a self-healing flywheel budget estimate track to create a more accurate budget, more accurate estimate track again, more accurate budget, more accurate estimate track again. It's a self-healing flywheel. And when that happens, you get predictable profits. When you get predictable profits, you get stability. And then you can kind of, you know, it, it kind of, it helps us, helps us get our nose off the grindstone a little bit and, uh, and actually design a life that we don't feel is robbing us. I love that, dude. So question for you is why is this so darn important to you? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, that's a good question. You got to you kind of got me. Um, I think at the, at the basic level, I think every human being wants to feel like they're, they're having a good impact or they're helping or, or what they're doing is, 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 is valuable. Um, and I, I love, well, Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one level deeper. So I spent two years in Romania, and I grew up in the U.S. Obviously, here in Pennsylvania, and I was grew up in a family that taught hard work. You know, you know, I, I was working for, I was working when I was 10, 11, 12 years old after school and stuff. You know, and um, of course, I, you know, it, 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 I didn't even know it. I, what I mean is, I didn't even know the opportunity that was around me. That you know, it was very apparent from the very early years of my life that. Oh, you work hard, you get rewarded for it. Um, and when I went to Romania for two years, um, what I saw over there, I mean, it was 25 years after communism fell over there. And what I saw over there was a whole generation of people my age that kind of had the mentality of like, oh, everything happens to me. The government needs to provide everything for me. It doesn't matter how hard I work or how, how little I work, I get the same results in life. You know, it felt a lot more that way, a lot more of a, I can't control or help myself. I can't, I can't, um, there's little that I can do. And it is true. It, it definitely is harder uh, uh, over there. So when I came home, um, to me, it, when I came home and I was just realized like, wow, like this really truly is amazing what we have in this land of opportunity. And it kind of feels like the, for me, it feels like the most hopeless thing in the world is a person that feels like they can't win. They can't control. They can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Life happens to them, not for them. And I love to see a hardworking person reap the reward of that hard work. It kills me to see a person that works hard, struggle and barely survive and never quite make it. And so I love being doing this thing with synced up as a product that helps contractors that are amazing craftsmen. I mean, that's what I did for 15 years. I took serious pride in the work I did and I, I can see it in the eyes of every contractor. You know, you, you go through their gallery and their Instagram and they're just so proud of what, you know, it's just, it's just, we love what we do. And so to be able to take those salt of the earth people and be a little part in enabling their success and, and just tweaking a few things to help make sure that things are lined up properly, that, when they crank at it hard, try to grow a team, try to grow a business, serve clients well, give incredible client experiences, build beautiful things that they actually reap the reward for it.
and, 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 and are thriving. And, and ultimately dads are home with their kids more, uh, less dinners get missed. Um, stronger families, stronger teams. And, and also I have a passion for their team members because I was never an owner at Tassie Landscaping. I was a foreman. I was employed. I started as an employee. I was a ditch digger. I was an I was a laborer on the crew for eight bucks an hour. That's how I started. So I have a passion for building, for building, helping build businesses become stable so that the employees within those businesses can actually build stable careers, not just hold down a job. And I love like, that's why in our vision, it says not just for the contractor, not just for the owner, but for their teams as well. And I feel like I was afforded that opportunity at Tessie Landscaping, for which I'm eternally grateful. And I, I see an industry that tends to kind of not have a like society doesn't really look at the, the laborers or the team members in services, service businesses as, you know, it's, it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a, a rough crowd, you could say. It's, it's kind of how the society looks at them. But I see talented craftsmen that if given rope to climb, they'll climb it. At least a percentage of them will. And I, I want to enable that. And that starts with having a stable business so that it can support not just the owner, but also the team. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't know. That was a long answer, but. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And so how do you feel when, when you see a contractor struggling and they just don't understand that their struggle really is in their inability to read numbers or to know their numbers because they just haven't given it a priority, but they're working so freaking hard that they're out there just beating their head against the wall saying, if I could just sell one more project this month, we'll break even or I'll make enough money to feed the family or anything like that. Well, how do you feel inside when you know you have a solution for them, but they just don't understand its value? It is defeating. It is It is probably the hardest mental. It's, it's one of the hardest things about what we do, what I do today is like, like you said, like pretend you're a doctor with a cure to cancer and you see a cancer patient and they refuse to take the medication or take the procedure or whatever that would heal them. Yeah. It's like, I know the solution, but I don't know. It's like, I, I know the solution and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to explain it or I'm trying to show it to you. Or I'm trying to get you to buy in. But at the end of the day, I got to, you know, we got to, we got a team, we got to feed our families too. So we can't just give, we can't just, just, well, even if we gave it away for free, it still wouldn't help. Even if we gave synced up away for free, it still wouldn't help because you have to use it and I can't make you use it, yeah. you know? And so I was re listening to uh, Dave Ramsey's Entre Leadership podcast recently, and he was saying how he built Financial Peace University for personal finances. And he was saying somewhere he was describing his journey. Somebody was asking him about his business journey. He was saying somewhere along the way, he realized that it was only 20 percent the numbers. The rest of it was mindset. Yeah. And so he was dealing with broken mindsets, not broken numbers, as you know, or, you know, it was a, a much bigger a mindset issue. And that's what I see today, too. It's the numbers are. We can fix numbers in, in inside of an hour. You know, whatever numbers are going on, we can fix that with inside of an hour. That's not the problem. The problem is, is do you believe the numbers? Can you actually can you actually disassociate your feelings from the numbers enough to go out there and sell the work at what the numbers tell you you have to sell it at? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's mindset, and um, yeah, it is it is hard. So it is really really hard. It's why I, it's why I spend so much time in education and webinars and all that kind of thing to try to speak to the mindset for portion and not just the numbers portion. Yeah. You're exactly right. Because if they don't believe they can, they're not going to do yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and you can give them all the, 
the you know opportunities as possible, even with a free software platform. And if it's not utilized, it's it's like having a car with and you don't put the keys in it. It's not going right. to take you anywhere, right? You've right. you've got to push through it. And you know, I I have a similar feeling when I start seeing because I know how what struggle feels like, dude. I started out that way, and you know, in the field and everything. I might have been an owner at the time, but we still were the ones digging the holes in the trenches. Did that for years. Right. And then to, to look back and say, you know what, there's there have been so many other ways to do that. That would have been a lot simpler and more profitable. But we didn't know any different. Right. Synced up didn't exist back then. Thank goodness I found Charles Vander Coy and his system. Yeah. Cover, right. More system. And, you know, that started to make me think, wait a minute, there's a process here. There's a way that we can have consistency, continuity with this. And then, you know, all the production rates and starting to lay all those out and collect all of that stuff. But, you know, all of that takes time, right? And if we're just out there wanting to build cool stuff and just we're so overwhelmed with so many projects coming in and like, or not projects, but clients calling and trying to get back to them and all that stuff. And you have no way to vet who's good and who's bad. Or you have no way to filter that out. You feel like you've got 40 calls this week and you've got one minute to get all of those calls back because you've been working in the field all week because your guys don't know what they're doing or on a project that they don't yeah. understand. They got oh. clients that are, you know, burning the house down because it's not exactly the way they wanted it to be. And all of these pressures, the wife wants to go out to eat, the kids got a basketball game and you're being pulled in 500 directions. That's a hundred percent the life of it's the most, <laughs> the owner operator stage of business is the most difficult stage. You're wearing 20 hats yes, and the pressure is cranked yes. and, and, yeah, it, it's just rough. It, it really is. Um, and so many times the, the, the default response is I'll just work harder. I'll stick my nose against the grindstone even harder because surely that will help. Yeah, but if yeah. the numbers aren't, aren't, aren't right, you know, cause it's what's, here's something that I've learned is it is harder to build the system and process to do something more efficiently than it is to just continue doing it in the old inefficient way. It's familiar. It's yes. familiar, right? There's no uncertainty with an old system that you're used to, like an old pair of shoes. The problem with yeah. an old pair of shoes, they're probably not good after a while for running. Yeah, but the <laughs> right? thing, exactly. And, and the thing is, if you never stop to improve on anything, you always, you're always going to get what you always got. Yep. And, and so many times because of this, this thing we're talking about, how you wear 20 hats, there's the pressure is cranked. You feel like you have no time to sit down and build a better process and so you just keep doing it the way you've always done it. It's just a vicious cycle. I mean, I have a friend, a guy that I respect. I mean, he does beautiful work, has a good team, good heart, hard worker, been in the industry for 20 plus years, longer than I've been. And he's, his, 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 his coping mechanism is just to work harder. And, and I've, I've tried to help him, you know, I've tried to help him for free. I've, tr I've, I've given him everything, but at the end of the day, it's just easier to keep doing what he, what he's always done. And yeah, it, it's super hard to, to watch that happen because there's a lot of pain being lived and there's a lot of, oh, so easy to avoid mistakes being made. And, you know, it's, it's just rough. And so much of that is, is because we're so afraid to fail, especially as men. I know women have the same thing, but I'm speaking specifically to men right now. We have this deep need not to fail because if we fail, then we look like we're not enough. And if we're not enough, we won't be loved. Right? So when we look at this and we're like, holy moly, like if I fail, I'm going to be looked at. What, what am I going to tell my wife? If I've been away 60 hours a week for the last three years for this business and she finds out that I didn't make any money or we're barely breaking even, like I would have to come to her with my tail between my legs and say, honey, I've been robbing from our family time to do this thing that I don't want to fail at. I will rob. I'd rather rob for my loved ones because I know they'll love me regardless than a client who wouldn't give a shit if you didn't show up. Right? 
that's the crazy, uh, you know, price that we're paying for these businesses. So knowing your numbers, at least you have the confidence, the clarity to know when you're going out to your clients and you're selling that $60,000 project that you can take home five or 10 or whatever your margin is grand to your company and you can take your family on a vacation. So then when the wife is complaining because you're working too much and you're like, well, you know what? God put me here to provide and protect. I am doing that. At least I'm providing something, right? At least you have the certainty in that when you don't. And I know this, Wes, because I used to be that guy that would work for nothing thinking I was making money. And I found at the end of the year that that wasn't the case, right? At the end of the year, I had a lot less than I thought I did because you know what? I would always run my numbers without my paycheck in them because they look bigger, right? My margins were much better without my paycheck. I got whatever was left. Mm -hmm. And so I would keep it out, right? And then take slugs here and there because I loved how big the accounts got. But the reality is once my bookkeeper looked at it, he's like, all right, where's your draw? And I was like, um, I'm going to take one. Don't worry. I'll take a draw. But, <laughs> but when I do, it takes me from double digit margins to, or, or net profit to almost nothing. If we're yes. being honest. Right. And I'm like 3%. I think that's not very healthy. No, yeah. it's not. So that means I got to charge more or you need higher volume. Okay. How do I do that? Right. So the problem with numbers is they don't lie. Yeah. You can't <laughs> fake them. They either are or they aren't. And yeah. that's the reality that I struggle with facing. And I think that's what a lot of people in our industry, they've struggled with this to look at the numbers square in the eye because it is a litmus test of whether you're lying to yourself or whether you're being truthful. It's like looking in the mirror at yourself because you know all your shit. Looking in the mirror, having an honest conversation with yourself and saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm doing really well or I've got a lot of shit I need to work on. You can't hide from yourself and you can't hide from numbers because they are what they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, arguing with the numbers is a futile thing. Like, yep. no nobody will nobody will it's like nobody will believe you <laughs> yeah <laughs> and most want to just work with hope that's what i did for years i'm like yeah. i'm not gonna budget because if i budget i gotta have to actually do what that budget says and if it says by second quarter i have to have a half million dollars in my account and i don't then i feel like a failure so i'd rather hope that it happens but no budget out there and look at it at the end of the year and say oh well it's not as bad as i thought it was like shut my eyes and run into the wall i'd rather do that than actually open them up and move around the wall which might take a lot more effort but that's, yeah. that's the struggle I think most go through because that's exactly what I went through for years. And I said, wait, wait a minute here. You know, the, this whole thing we're talking about, the, the numbers and the systems and processes, that's they are the keys out of the entrepreneurial prison, yeah. really. 100%. Because if, if you fix the numbers and you build systems and processes, instead of having the mentality that, well, I'm just going to do everything myself. Yep. If that is, I just wrote a blog article on this whole owner-operator versus business owner thing. And it's like that. It's like... If, if the only way to get it done right is to do it yourself, either you can own a job and continue doing it that way, or you can own a business and build the systems and process and the people to do it right. Yep. And until you do that, you like you're in the entrepreneurial prison, like you will never be able to graduate from wearing 20 hats and the pressure is cranked and you're not home for dinner. Yep. And let's face it, not everybody is designed to be an entrepreneur. No, no, for right. sure. Just not. because you own a business does not mean you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. That yeah. means you own a job. I own my job for most of my career. And, and I would like say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. So the entrepreneur side is when you own a business that produces yeah. a return on an investment and you're not doing the thing just to be clear on that. Right. So yeah. to, to get to that point, you then have to know your numbers. You have to set up, you know, standard operating procedures. You have to. There's just no way around it, but that's not for everyone, Weston. 
right? Some people are amazing installers or they're creatives that love to design and they want to own their job. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't paint the picture for what it isn't. Yeah. Look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to be the best damn water feature installer that ever lived and go do it. Sling rocks, go play in the mud. There's nothing wrong with that. No. Don't try to act like you're something else because that's where the contrast and the conflict comes from. When you think I'm an entrepreneur, but you're in the field all the time. You're like, shit. Am I really an entrepreneur? No, you're not. You're still in the field. Either own that or learn how to get the hell out of that. But don't try to play one foot in each stream. It doesn't work that way. And and to the point, one of the points I made in that blog article I was talking about is there's like you said, there's nothing wrong with owning your job or being an owner operator. It's just that you better make some serious cash while you're doing that because of the break a leg factor. You break a leg, you get hit by a bus, it's done. Yep. If you if you are building systems and processes and have the mindset of an entrepreneur, you're building an asset that that will give you financial security even if you no longer work in it and, uh, you know and so as an owner operator you never build that asset because you are the asset and and so in that model it's perfectly okay i know i have good friends that that know they're in the owner operator mode they intend to stay there forever but they're 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 cranking serious cash <laughs> you know because you have to you have to get it out you have to and, and get it into things that uh, are assets that can build financial security for you even after you stop working. Dude, you're segueing right into where I want to go with this. <laughs> we didn't even have notes for that one. That's really good. <laughs> so my question for you is, what do you suggest that people that know their numbers, uh, that they put away for long-term cash flow producing assets, like on a net side? So how much should they put away each project or percentage-wise throughout the year in order to make sure that, because let's face it, our bodies aren't going to last. If you're an owner operator out there working, your body it has a, a, a date stamp on it. There's only so long you can do that kind of work before your body just says no. And if you're not going to replace it with younger labor or you don't want to have employees or want to have small teams, you're going to be doing it until you can't, right? So if you're not squirreling away cash each and every project or each and every quarter, each and every year into a fund, which you can then have cash flow from, you know, cash flow producing assets. If your game isn't that, and I've said that many times in this podcast because it has been one of the most incredible journeys going from where I started with nothing to be able to to retire at 43 because I'm like, you know what? I figured this thing out. And that's one of the big pushes for this podcast is to get this message out there because if this guy from the cornfields of Pennsylvania can do this, anybody can do it. It doesn't take a PhD. I didn't go to school for this, right? It was a simple thing to learn. I just did it a lot. The next thing you know, it reaped the reward. But now I don't have to worry about it, economic up and downs because I'm like, I'm insulated with that. Yeah. Right? So it, but it's because my wife and I saved for years, all the monies we made, we've saved portions of it for savings. And then we could take that and plug it into cash flow producing asset, real estate in this case. And it's like, now we've got cash flow off of that asset. So if a business is up or down, it, yeah, it sucks, but we can still work around that. We're not going to not eat. We're not going to have to you know, change our entire lives. And I don't say that in any way to brag. I'm simply saying it because if I can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Listeners out there, if I can do it, you can do it. Imagine having your entire nut each month that you have in expenses coming in with what we call mailbox money, right? It comes in each month and you're like, shit, well, I don't have any expenses this month. Yeah, of course, but you've got to earn the money to start that process. So, yeah. Would you speak yeah. into that? Yeah. Oh well. I mean, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no financial advisor, but I mean, just kind of my own personal rule of thumb is uh, what I've heard. I should say from um, it's as an owner. Well, regardless whether you're an owner or operator or an entrepreneur, or let me say this: 
if you're an owner operator, you own a job. So you should do the same thing as if you were working for someone else at a job, put away 15 to 20% of your uh, income into assets, yeah. whether it's a IRA or mutual fund, whatever you're doing, whatever your financial advisor and you decide, but right. 15 to 20% of your income should go into future into asset building material. Um, and when you're an owner operator, it's no different than if you're an employee because you have no asset the same way as an employee has no asset. That's, that's the view when you're an owner operator, it's the same as if you were working for another company in terms of what you should do with your finances to score, to build for a rainy day fund or to build assets that disassociate your need to work for, to, Mm -hmm. to eat. I mean, I think Uh, the first step always is to make sure you have your rainy day fund. You know, at least six months of, of revenue, six months of, mm-hmm. of capital, if you will, core capital for your business, mm-hmm. right? To make sure that mm-hmm. if everything just stops, you have cash. So first squirrel yeah. that away, put it in interest bearing account, sit it there. Yeah. Do the same for your personal as well. It costs you five grand a month to live, 10 grand, whatever the number is. Just multiply that, put that away. So start saving those two nuts first. Yeah. I'm not a financial advisor either, but this is what everyone tells me that yeah. does this thing right, right? So you first you get your own nuts nailed. Once you got that nailed down, didn't actually sound that good, but you know. Yeah. So and and to <laughs> and to and to your point, um, when you're um, the business needs to pay you a market salary plus net salary. profit. Mm-hmm. Like so, the business's profit is not your salary as an owner. If you work in meaning, if you if you're an absentee owner, then yes, the profit is your is your reward. It's your dividend. It's your income. If you are an owner that also works in the business, produce, you know, working in the business, the market, the business needs to pay you market rate. And there's a lot of people out there doing the work of three people. There's a lot of owner operators out there doing the work of three people. If they stopped working tomorrow, they'd have to hire an office admin. They'd have to hire a salesperson. They'd have to hire an ops manager. And my question always, the question is how much should I pay myself? Well, what would you have to pay on the market to replace yourself in your business? If you'd have to hire three people to pay yourself, to, to replace yourself, well, ops manager, 60, 70 grand, salesperson, 100 grand, office admin, 40, 50 grand, add all those numbers up. That's what you should be budgeting for. I'm not saying you have to take it home in cash, but that's what you should be budgeting as if the business were paying you that. Otherwise, the business is getting you at a discount or for free. And then, and then your pricing's not the price is not based on reality. So when should you start implementing this stuff into your budget? You know, I know when you're starting out a company, it's like, what do I put in the budget? What do I not put in the budget? I want to grow. But if, how do I lay it out? If I'm a new business owner that wants to grow and scale, what's the best way to start the budget? Do I start it with those people in there, the admin and the ops manager and the salesperson, or do I just start where I'm at right now and build it up? So, but I want to make sure that I don't end up at, at, uh, you know, a thousand dollars for this project this year, next year it's $4,000 because my overhead structure changed. So how do I get that balance when I start? Well, I like to, we should, we should always be, like, even if you're starting your business installing your first job tomorrow, like we should, ideally, I would always encourage everyone to have a budget. Um, And then the other thing I like to encourage is, it's my favorite thing about budgeting, actually, is budget for the business you want to be tomorrow, not the business you were yesterday. Uh, So if you wish you could buy that truck, or you wish you could hire an office admin and take another hat off your head as an owner operator, um, but put it in the budget. And if you can still sell it, do it. Yeah. You know, that's your permission to buy it or, or pay or spend that money. Um, so it's a, it, you know, it's a, the most important thing is that, is that the data you're plugging into your budget is based on reality because the garbage in garbage out and 
budget looking forward, budget worst case scenario, because every time you spent every time you spend a dollar that was not in the budget, what was supposed to be profit is what what was supposed to be your profit in your pocket is what goes to pay for that difference. Yeah, no, exactly. That makes up that difference for sure. So one last question for you, Weston. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be known for when you're, say, it's 20 years from now and you're sitting on a rocking chair thinking <laughs> back about your life? What, what do you want the world to have known Weston as? What do you want your legacy to be or have been? I would feel like I would feel fulfillment, like it was a race worth running. If more hardworking blue collar entrepreneurs were thriving instead of just surviving in their businesses, which turns into things like kids got to see their parents more, which okay. turns into things like families are stronger, employees are able to work for these contractors and make six figure career jobs like that. If I can play a part in that happening more often in our world, that will be a tremendous honor. That's, I would love to, I, that's what would make me feel um, it was a battle worth fighting. I love that, dude. And that's why I love having you on this podcast and chat with you in general, because your heart's in the right place, square in the center. I love it, dude. So any other parting uh, ideas or thoughts you have before we wrap up? Well, I, I would just say so many people feel like they're the only ones that don't have their act together. Listen, in a, in, an, in, a, in, a, in a way, we all don't have our act together. Sure, someone might be ahead of you in the game, but you know, it, it's, it's advice. It's a little cliche, but only compare yourself to what you were yesterday. And if you are currently an owner operator and you want to be continue to be an owner operator, cause you don't want to build a full blown team, don't want to work on building systems and processes. That's totally cool. There is nothing wrong with that. Just make sure that your business is producing the cash to leave you financially secure and your kids and your family too, and your team. If you want to be an entrepreneur, but you feel like your numbers are just an absolute mess and all that, it's, it, it, it's okay. We all have went through that in one phase or another in our lives. Just, it's a, it's a problem that's easily solved. Find the right people in your network to solve it. And um, remember that entrepreneurship is more about mindset than getting two plus two equals four right. I love that. Dude, thank you for that. You know, listeners out there, focusing on competition, what you're, you know, competitor in your market's doing and you're doing and you're trying to always beat them that's a, that's a zero-sum game they're playing a different game than you and it's not in the sense you might both be building outdoor living spaces but they have a different life different story different scenarios in their life different everything you can't possibly compare it's like trying to be the richest man in the world always comparing how much money you have in your bank versus someone else someone else is eventually always going to win so you're gonna have to go one level deeper deeper with that because if you compare constantly to others you're robbing joy and fulfillment from yourself right then and there. Exactly what Wes said. Only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That is it. Every day you get the opportunity to kill your clone, your yesterday person, and you get to grow. It is part of the human nature that we all want to grow. We all want to progress and grow. And with that being the case, when we compare ourselves to others, we rob ourselves of all the bandwidth that we've grown, all the, the distance we've come, all the accumulation of knowledge that we've had over the years, because immediately we compare ourselves with someone else who's just further on the track. And we feel like we aren't far enough, or we feel like we're not enough, or we feel like we're never going to get there. They might be 20 years ahead of you. They might be three years ahead of you. 
they might have a different team. We, they're, they're not the same. So stop comparing yourselves. That's something, one of the hardest lessons I had to learn. Cause I'm like, well, that guy there, he's got like nine trucks and he's doing all these big projects and I'm not. And it would put me in this, this downward spiral of like, oh, you're never going to be enough. Why are you doing this? This is, this is too tough. Like he must be smarter. There's gotta, he's gotta be smarter. There's gotta be, I don't know why he's, he must be just a better, a better person. And when I stopped comparing myself and said, you know, he has a different journey. I have my own journey. And I need to just look at yesterday and say, I've grown two millimeters since yesterday. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. And just like snow, those two millimeter growths every single day will accumulate. And eventually you'll stand on top of your mountain. So Weston, thank you for coming on here today. I always appreciate our conversation. Hope somebody listening got something from this. Every single Absolutely. episode something from and And uh, I wish you the very best with Synced Up. And if guys out there, if you're not using Synced Up, reach out to Wes. Yeah, Seriously. hit me up on Instagram. I love to hit. I love to. I love to talk about this stuff. And uh, you can, if you message us on our Instagram profile, that's me. That's you know, you're messaging me, not someone else. So um, I'm happy. I, I love. I love this. Th these conversations and unblocking friction points for businesses is is, is a blast. So yeah. reach out. I'm happy to talk. You guys won't meet another man out there that's doing as much for the industry as Weston and synced up is right now. I have just mad respect for what you're doing, brother. You're changing the industry. You're not just changing the industry. You're changing human lives every single day. You're allowing those fathers and mothers to go home to their kids with money in their pocket, their ability to go on vacations, to be able to go to that basketball game. You're giving them that opportunity because now they have clarity. You're giving them clarity around the numbers. So brother, thank you for what all you do for the industry. And uh, guys, listen to it. Well, I'll reach back out and get rolling with you again next week.